Welcome to the Closeness Podcast. The following is based on both personal experiences, opinions, and wisdom, as well as experiences that men and women have contributed to us. Generalizations are sometimes made for the sake of brevity, but are never meant to exclude or offend. Regardless of your gender identity, relationship status, preferences, or sexual orientation, it is our sincere hope that you can take away something positive, constructive, and useful from each topic explored. You can support these podcasts by donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash closeness, the link to which can be found in the description. Now, are you ready to come closer? Let's get started. Hi, welcome back. My name is Tari, and this is another edition of Closeness. Today we're taking a bit of a detour and exploring a very important subject to everyone, our diet and how we eat. We're going to be answering the question, what is a sexy diet? What makes us feel vibrant on the inside and outside so that we can be more sexually and sensually desirable to ourselves, to our partners, and to live out a happy, vibrant life with more energy. And as much as this podcast is about sexuality and intimacy, I think that extends to all areas of our lives. So you'll hear a lot about lifestyle, travel tips, how to increase the quality of your life in other areas outside of the bedroom, all based around the ability to be closer with another human being. But one of the most important relationships we can have in our entire life is the relationship and level of intimacy and closeness that we have with ourselves and the trust that we have in our own body and our own intuition. So many times, you'll hear me say later on, we say things like, my body is betraying me or I don't know what's wrong with me. That's because your body's speaking to you, but you haven't found a way to listen yet. An example of that that I once heard that really resonated with me is visualizing a husband who's doing everything for his wife. He is doing everything that he thinks that she needs. And maybe he can rattle off 20 things. I've done this and that and the other. And she's saying, but you're not hearing me. You're not giving me what I need. And so this is about tuning into what your body actually needs. Not what you think it should have, what the scientific papers say it should have, what your parents told you you should do, what you've been doing your whole life, and what you think has been working this far but isn't. It's about tuning into your own internal guidance system. So hopefully some of the thoughts and suggestions you hear today will help you along your path to tune in more to your body and listen to what it needs. Later on, I'll share with you what my diet looks like, and I also want to set an expectation for this podcast. I'm not going to tell you you should eat this particular food and not that. It's not one of those episodes, but I think you're going to like the direction that we go. Of course, we always talk about how good we want to feel and how the purpose of all this is to feel great, but sometimes it helps to focus on the other side. What's the opposite of not having a healthy, sexually desirable, well-balanced diet that makes us feel great from the outside in? What's the opposite of clean, vibrant, beautiful, and healthy? To me, words come to mind like sluggish, unfit, bloated, gassy, heavy, got to unbutton the first button in your pants because everything's a little tight after you have a certain type of meal, unhealthy looking skin, eyes, nails, looking a little malnourished or feeling that way. None of us want to feel that way. And I don't think any of us want to present ourselves to someone we want to be intimate with looking or feeling like that. And we don't want our intimate partners to look and feel like that. So that's how it ties into closeness. Now, of course, right off the bat, I've got to say I'm not a dietitian. I'm not telling you what you should do or have to do. I'm simply sharing my perspective and opinions 
based on what has worked for me and what I've seen work for countless people around the globe who have tried something similar. But along these same lines, and to be fair to ourselves, I have a really hard time when I'm reading something on a package about something promising really great results and it looks really wonderful, and then I have to read this mandatory statement that says, uh, the FDA doesn't think this, and we don't really guarantee this, and it can't really happen, and it probably won't, so you really shouldn't buy this product anyway. <laughs> I mean, how does that not plant a seed in your mind, right? So while, yes, of course, I'm going to say to you, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a licensed dietitian, I'm not telling you what you must do with your body, yeah, hear that, and then also know that authentically and sincerely and with no financial gain in mind or no type of secondary gain, I'm wanting to give you things and empower you in a way that allows you to make choices for yourself. And so just because an FDA doesn't recommend it or it's not evaluated by this or that scientific research program does not mean that you're not allowed to do as you please to make your own choices and to see what works best in your own body. All right, so where do we begin? I want you to make no mistake. If we paid half of the attention that we pay to our food and what we put in our mouths, to what we actually think about what we're putting in our mouths, our own thoughts, the way we talk to ourselves and treat ourselves, the level of abuse we give ourselves through self-punishment, self-deprecation, calling ourselves stupid or fat or foolish or ridiculous in our own minds, and the way we think about ourselves, and more specifically, how we feel about the food that we are eating before we eat it, while we eat it, after we eat it, if we paid half the amount of attention to those types of things, we'd be winning and we'd be feeling a heck of a lot better than we are right now. And not just paying attention to the thoughts, but allowing yourself to reshape them until your thought triggers a different feeling, which triggers a different sensation in your body to make you feel better about it. We know every detail about our food. We understand it at a genetic level. And the shocking thing is we have no consensus. No agreement on what's right and wrong. You put a hundred people in a room, you've got a hundred different opinions on what works for one person, what works for another. And that's actually a very, very useful piece of knowledge. We've got vegans, vegetarians, people who are paleo, fruitarians, breatharians, people who avoid lectins and nightshades, people who think eating beans are poisonous. This decade's pop word is ketogenic. Everybody's eating a ketogenic diet. We have those who recommend that we should be eating three square meals a day, others who say we should be having small snacks throughout the day like hunter-gatherers, and others still who tell us that we should be fasting, and this is the quickest way to restore wellness in the body, while other people are doing the exact opposite. How do you make sense of all of this and find out what's actually right, or better said, right for you? So one of my first pieces of advice is to recognize that simple fact. People are doing the complete opposite and some are still thriving while eating completely different diets and different foods. Because what does that tell you? It's not static. You have possibility and there are lots of ways to thrive on this planet. It tells you that and it also tells you that there's no one way that's right for everybody. It's gotten to the point where you know people, maybe you're one of them who says, I can't even look at that cheesecake or that sumptuous piece of chocolate caramel or that fresh baked bread. Crispy on the outside, moist and chewy on the inside. Piled high with buffalo mozzarella cheese and lathered with Grey Poupon. You know, without gaining weight. We are afraid to touch food 
in some respects because we think we're going to put on pounds in all the wrong places. Or we think that if we veer from our diet, our special way of eating, that we're going to fall off the face of the earth or that it's going to have deleterious effects. You know, we also have very specific languaging around when we're doing something that we think is wrong or bad. And so this is tip number two. How do we word things like that? We say, we're having an indulgence, we're being bad, we're cheating, we're having a cheat day. Very, very negative language around what we put in our mouth before we do it. And I believe that has a very strong effect on your body. Does anyone feel good about cheating? I don't think so. So how does it authentically feel good to you when you're having a cheat day? So even changing your vocabulary is helpful. On a deeper level, what that means is, and what I've found has worked wonders for me, is emotionally lining up. That means getting to a place where what you think about what you're eating lines up with how you want to feel. It's coming to the conclusion that whatever you're putting in your mouth, you authentically believe that it's nourishing you. You can't just say, this is going to be good for me, this chocolate sundae is going to nourish me. You have to believe it and feel it in your body. And we all know that feeling before we eat a piece of pizza or ice cream. We go, oh, this is trouble. Oh, I shouldn't. Oh, I shouldn't. And then we do. And then we often regret it. I also see the opposite of this happen for people who are, quote unquote, ultra spiritual. Oh, thank you for this goodness. It's going to nourish me. My body's a temple. I love my body. I love myself. Whatever I put in it is going to be good for me. They spit out a hundred quick words in succession. But if it's just words, they can be totally empty if you aren't feeling it authentically on the inside. So regardless of what the actual truth is about eating that piece of pizza, whether it is or is not good for you, if you don't feel well before you eat it, it's not going to serve you when you eat it. On the other hand, if before you eat something, you find yourself feeling happy, joyous, connected, high, with no resistance, flowing easily, feeling like you could eat anything or do anything, then by all means, enjoy and savor it. We've all been victims of stress eating or feeling starving and wanting to eat everything in the store when we're grocery shopping. And that's the same kind of feeling is we're out of alignment, we're out of our center, and it's never good to make choices when we are. All right, what's another realization we can take into account when we're thinking about how we eat? All of us have such different body types, body compositions, genetic makeups. We're from all different parts of the world. We've got all different bloodlines and blood types for that matter. And we have so many different types of beautiful medicine from around the world that address the body differently. Yes, sometimes there's a lot of overlap, but we've got things like Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, looking at whether you're vata, pitta, kapha, or some combination thereof, Western medicine, all different approaches to the same body. As such, it's a little far-fetched and ridiculous to think that there is going to be one piece of food, one item that is going to nourish everybody in the exact way that your body needs, whether it's organic coconut oil or fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, dairy, whatever it is, we all have different responses and different tolerance levels to these types of foods. Some people really do feel like they can eat anything and they don't gain weight. Some people feel like they can't eat a thing and they gain weight. Some of us eat locally and find that shopping at our local farmer's market makes us feel best, that we're eating food that's in season and widely available where we're from without eating too many imported foods. But then you've got to consider that we've all got different goals, like losing weight, gaining weight, putting on muscle, or the one sentence that I don't think a woman is alive on the planet today who hasn't said, just being a little more 
tone. So why would it make sense that someone who lives in a hot, tropical, year-round, humid area, who may be deficient in, let's just say, iron, for example, why would that mean at all that someone who lives in a fast-paced, bustling, smoggy, noisy, dirty, smelly, loud, never sleeping, subways all day, in and out, traffic-ridden, concrete jungle like the streets of New York. Why would that mean that they need the same thing compared to someone who's got nothing but beaches, 100-degree weather, sand, water, and palm trees everywhere? We need a different approach. So we're trying to figure out with all the different philosophies, all of our different body types, all of our different stress levels and hormone levels and cortisol levels, where do we begin with all of this? How does someone who's completely different from someone else, who understands that fad diets do not work, how do you begin to eat and nourish yourself with a vibrant, sexually attractive diet? It's not that you're trying to be sexy when you eat, obviously. It's more that when you eat in a way that nourishes you and uplifts you, you feel more sexually desirable. Our bodies are very dynamic. They're always changing, always growing, and always balancing different levels of what you need. So there may come a time where you are in fact deficient in magnesium, or much like our culture is obsessed with today, omega-3 fatty acids. So maybe we need to be consuming fish oil regularly or flaxseed oil. And there may be a period of time that you really, really need to get more of that in your system. But I've found through incredible amounts of testing and exploring that that's not the case day after day, week after week, month after month. Very few people may actually thrive off taking a supplement every single day for the rest of their life. Even as I say that sentence, does that feel good? You need to take this every single day for the rest of your life. Now, I'm not talking about what your doctor has told you for your heart condition. I'm just talking about some sort of specific mineral or type of ingredient. I also like to avoid things like conventional wisdom some sort of flippant response that has been passed down throughout the ages that doesn't really get us anywhere. Things such as everything in moderation. Now, I in fact believe that eating things in moderation and doing things in moderation is actually helpful, but who is the one who decides what moderation is? And how do you know how much that is? Who's placing judgment on when it's enough for you? And how do you even know as a person what moderation is? One take on it might be to say, everything in moderation until you don't feel good anymore. But friends, listen, if you're getting to the place where you don't feel good, that's already well beyond the point that your body has had enough. Now, same thing with phrases like, well, just eat a healthy, balanced diet. Where are the specifics in this? And here's the hard thing about being alive today. Everyone has an argument about why everything that you put in your mouth isn't good for you and is going to harm you. I couldn't even begin to tell you all of the arguments I've heard against eating any of the following. Dairy, meat, bread, non-organic produce, fruit, rice, corn, soy, rye, oats, grains of any kind, nightshades, beans, any kind of sugar, nuts, fats, carbs, protein, whey, and tofu. With so much conflicting evidence and so many recommendations from so many different sources, what do you do? The answer is we need to be able to measure what's good for us. We need some sort of indicator that's going to tell us what's good for our own individual biochemistry. So something that I've found has worked for me is if you are in good health to begin the process, the discovery, the road, the path that really will shift your perspective on life. And here it comes finally. It's eliminating all unnecessary ingredients that do not nourish or support you 
from your diet and then reintroducing them after a long period of time. And this might be one of the most emotionally or physically challenging things you've ever done. So we're going to dive into all the details, and it might be a little more emotionally challenging than you might think. But I can assure you that I've found, and many others have found, that it's worth it in the end because you really get to know yourself. And you're not listening to a fad or a diet or something you read in a magazine. You're actually understanding how your own personal body works. And isn't that what it's all about? Some of these things that we love are anchored into our body. If you love the smell of fresh baked cookies or the taste of Rice Krispie treats that you've enjoyed since you were a little kid, such as myself, these are long-standing emotional ties that you have to food. And sometimes part of this new way of eating is just coming around to the idea that we've got emotional attachment to food that doesn't serve us. We think it's satisfying us, but it's not doing our body any kind of good. So you're probably wondering, what the heck does a diet like this look like? And I'm using a different definition of the word diet here. I'm not referring to dieting. I'm simply referring to what you eat in your diet. Here is what I did that I found to be remarkably helpful and an example of what I eliminated in the beginning before I reintroduced some of these foods once again into my diet. So some stayed off completely and some came back in. In the beginning, I eliminated all of the top known allergens to man that people struggle with. And that was gluten, corn, soy, sugar, and dairy. It was a massive, massive undertaking in the beginning, and I did not do it all at once. I started with any product containing gluten, and then once I got comfortable with that, I was able to move on to the rest somewhat easily. I also want to be very clear here about fad diets and people with strong opinions or people who think that gluten sensitivity doesn't exist, or leaky gut is a myth, or what have you. And it ultimately may be true that you have no sensitivity to gluten, but I did notice a huge difference from eliminating so many processed foods and carbs from my diet. And on top of all that, I'm not even someone who has a hard time with carbs. I don't gain weight easily. Fat really wasn't one of my concerns, but I really noticed a big difference in how I felt when I went through this process. And, uh, you know, I'm well aware that all of these things are probably things that you're consuming possibly two, three, four, five times a day. Before I continue, I remember being at a Tony Robbins seminar and it was all about eating as well. And he actually has similar beliefs on what the human body should be eating. And a man of his size, I think he's like 250 pounds, huge, huge man. And he's in back consuming raw fruits and vegetables and bouncing on a trampoline to keep him fit. But I just remember hearing the groans in the audience as he went through all of the things that you got to get rid of in your diet to really experience a shift in health. And I'll actually share them here because they're pretty darn similar. It's any and all caffeines and addictive substances, cigarettes, of course, gums, candies, sugars, refined sugars, agave syrup, all those nasty sweeteners that they put in gum. And then, of course, he advocates not eating meat, eliminating dairy, and he shows very graphic videos as to why we might do that, so on and so forth. But surprisingly, there's a lot of other stuff that we don't think about that has a lot of binders and fillers and starches in it, like barbecue sauce and salad dressing, different types of oils like soy, corn, peanut, cottonseed, sunflower oil, partially hydrogenated oils. It's really quite a process, but the idea here is to create a way of eating based around a very, very limited number of ingredients 
that you can handle on a daily basis, like making your own salad dressings and making your own incredible salads with all sorts of different vegetables and maybe a few seeds that are good for you. But the deeper I dive into these ways of eating, the more I've discovered how much freedom I really did have. There's an enormous amount of choice and selection if you consider that you're eating, this is one of my favorite ways to do it, close to nature. Food that is as unrefined as possible, as close to nature as possible, as close to it coming from the ground or the earth or the tree or the bush or however you've picked it. Another one of my suggestions is to plan your meals around the outside of a grocery store or the farmer's market. The outside of a grocery store looks like the fruits and vegetables section. There is some dairy if that's your thing and fresh cuts of meat and generally those middle aisles contain what? Sugar, candy, chips, alcohol, popcorn, frozen foods, refined and processed flours, grains. It's all the things that have been generally denatured in some way. So what are you not doing? You're not starving yourself. You're not counting calories. You're not forcing yourself to do things that you hate. You just might notice that you have a very difficult emotional reaction to letting go of eating some foods. And I mentioned Rice Krispie Treats and chocolate chip cookies because I had a very difficult time letting go of those. So we're aiming to get rid of anything that the body can't really do anything with, that it can't use, that it can't be nourished by. We're trying to find the things that when we eat them, our body responds well to. And the only way to do it is to give yourself time to detox and cleanse from all of the Doritos and Cheetos and hot dogs and corn dogs. And if you're a vegan, all of the soy products and corn products and wheat products and if you're paleo, all the amount of flesh that you're running through your body. But the idea here is to eliminate as much as possible. And this may have to be done in a couple of different ways because let's just say you do consume meat. So you're going to keep fresh, lean meats in your diet, but you're going to try to eliminate all grains. Well, maybe in fact your body doesn't process meat very well. And once you reintroduce other ingredients that you may want to try eliminating meats for a while and see how you do. It's a thorough experimentation process that takes time. I mean, I would give yourself six months to a year to figure out what works best for you. And I think people who've been doing this for a long time know that it's a lifelong process of adjusting and making adjustments. And what we'll talk about later is how nothing is static or fixed and what works in our body now isn't always going to work for it next year and the year after. But as you're working through all of this, one of the best things you can do for yourself is to find outstanding delicious substitutions for the foods that you do love. Substitutions are amazing because they can help you transition into this way of eating. And then after you've eliminated everything for a period of time, you can also reintroduce those original foods. A few simple examples of this are substituting a cauliflower crust pizza instead of a pizza crust substituting cauliflower rice instead of rice, having a raw chocolate and coconut oil flavored spread instead of chocolate sauce, having a vegan ice cream that's coconut milk based and doesn't have any cane sugar in it, having taro chips instead of potato chips or trying plantains instead of chips and salsa, trying new grain-free chips that are based on cassava root instead of corn. And if you visit your local farmer's market or any type of Whole Foods and Trader Joe's these days, you'll begin to notice that a lot of manufacturers and companies and individuals are creating incredible substitutions in all of their cooking. So whether you're looking to get rid of meat, dairy, 
grains, become gluten-free, be paleo, and again, even keto, you'll find that a lot of people are catering to this type of eating these days. I do also want to remind you here, though, before you dig yourself into a deeper hole, that often just because something appears healthy, this trick has been used in the industry for decades, low-calorie or fat-free, often things that are substitutions can also be worse for you than the item itself. For example, gluten-free is all the rage right now. I can't tell you how many gluten-free products or gluten-free breads I've seen that are substituted with sugar, corn, modified food starch, and any number of other artificial ingredients, but they've managed to take out the wheat, and it tastes like crap anyway. Ultimately, we're trying to get rid of what we've now know is one of the most toxic things for us, which is inflammation in the body. I mean, I think anyone can imagine that their gut might need a little healing from the daily barrage and stress that we expect our body to deal with with the stuff that we eat. If you're the kind of person, this is a little exaggerated, but you know, you start your mornings with a few cups of coffee and maybe you smoke cigarettes and you have a stressful job and you're eating bread and sugar all day in the form of cereal and sandwiches and you have fried chicken and then pizza and ice cream for dinner and dessert. Yes, I basically described an Italian's diet, but if we're in America, then after that, maybe you have some meds or medication that you're taking. It's an enormous, an enormous tax on your body's nervous system. Once you break free and you're able to establish a new habit, which generally takes around 21 days, and you know how fast it goes by. It goes by in a blink of an eye. You'll find that it gets a heck of a lot easier. You have to give your system a chance to reset. Then once you give yourself a good two to three months of not putting these types of ingredients through your body. This is where you've really cleared out your system, where you've started from a fresh slate, where it's like being born again, where you've given your gut and intestinal lining a chance to heal and rebuild itself, and now you really get to start anew. You are now in control. You're the caretaker and custodian of your body, temple, whatever you like to refer to it as, and you get to start introducing things one by one. And then, like a curious scientist conducting experiments, you get to see what types of food respond well in your body. And I want to give you some courage here. It's not as though you're going to put a piece of cheese in your mouth and then all hell's going to break loose and you're not going to be able to function for weeks on end or anything ridiculous like that but you will get quick indicators about how you feel. Here is where you might start incorporating everything in moderation. This could be a little challenging, but you could have a small meal based on one ingredient. Let's just say fish or steak or a vegetable salad or specifically nightshades or a certain type of chips or corn on the cob, something where you'll be able to identify the type of reaction that you have. And you gotta be patient with this because if you have a full meal with you know different types of grains, carbs, fats, all different things from around the world, you're still going to have no idea where the response came from. But my recommendation is that you consume something and then wait a few hours and see how you feel. And in some cases with foods, you won't even recognize it, say, if you eat in the morning until that evening and some till the next morning. For example, some things I found that worked for me in the beginning is I found goat cheese was much better than cow cheese. I found that eating more gamey foods like bison and lamb, again, if that's your thing, was a lot gentler on the stomach than just a steak. Amazingly, you will find this to be incredibly fascinating and informative. And what you'll discover is you might have a reaction to something that you thought you were fine eating your entire life. And here's the psychological component of that. You might not be willing to make a change like that at this point in your life.
it took me decades to give up some ingredients. I used to go down to a spot in Hollywood called Stella Barra, and they had brown butter Rice Krispie treats in these huge blocks. They have all sorts of enormous freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. They make pizzas and freshly baked breads. You go in there and just the fragrance alone is just heavenly and drives me crazy. So I remember trying one of these brown butter Rice Krispie treats, and I gobbled that thing up within seconds. I could have easily eaten two pounds of Rice Krispie treats because I have that strong of an association with how delicious that is. And it ties me back to a childhood memory that I love. So if you think that giving up something like that is as easy as stopping cold turkey or slowing down with it, you're sorely mistaken. It takes some real mental work and some real strong dedication to do it. And even in the case of something that's as simple as a Rice Krispie treat, three ingredients, marshmallows, butter, and Rice Krispies. Inside the Rice Krispies, there's sugar. Inside the butter, we've got a dairy product. We don't know the origin of it. We don't know if it's grass-fed. We don't know if we have a bad response to it. And of course, marshmallows, which, goodness, if you're vegan, it's got gelatin. It's, of course, full of sugar, and in some cases, full of high fructose corn syrup, which is a corn ingredient. So there's lots to break down as you're doing this exploration. So while I leave you to ruminate on whether or not you like to keep Rice Krispie treats in your diet or not, or stone-fired pizzas with sourdough crust and ugh, all of the things that come along with eating incredible Italian food, we're going to break this up into two episodes and continue this in a second podcast. You might consider, before you listen to the next one, what types of foods do you adore since childhood but you probably know deep down aren't really serving you? What types of things did mom or dad make or did a restaurant you used to go to when you were a kid leave you with an association that you had to have that food for the rest of your life? It's a tough subject to deal with because we love these memories. We love and cherish these things. And maybe one day, maybe after a few months, you're reintroducing these foods or you can handle them in moderation. But again, it's all about clearing it out, giving your body a few months, like literally 90 days or more of eating as cleanly as possible before you reintroduce. Also, in this day and age of consuming media right and left and switching to the next episode and the next and keeping our minds constantly active and entertained, it's nice just to sit with things for a moment and see how it lands on you. How does hearing about an elimination diet strike you for the first time? Are you 100% resistant to it and you feel like there's no way you could ever do something like that? Have I planted a seed that you like and you say, you know, I think after 25 years or 45 years or 65 years, it might be time to do an oil change, to change some filters, to let my body reset. And lastly, a few more words of encouragement. Just because something was done one way in your past does not mean that it's still serving you today. And just because you think everything is fine also does not mean everything is perfectly fine in your body. Generally speaking, and we're going to bring up things like this in other closeness episodes when it comes to sex, of course, too, it's almost always fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of something new, fear of trying something different, fear of not wanting to make a mistake, fear of harming our own bodies by listening to our own bodies and putting our faith into the hands of other people to make decisions for us. It's these types of fears that get in the way of exploring. Once again, you don't have to jump in cold turkey and do all of this all at once. You can make little changes day by day, but I do want to give you the encouragement to try something new. So give that some time to stew, to marinade, to sous vide, but certainly not deep fry. 
as we move on to our next episode about what is a sexually attractive diet. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this immensely. You can learn more about the closeness lifestyle and movement by visiting getcloseness.com. If you've been touched by what you've heard here today, or if the Closeness Podcast has inspired you to make a positive change in your life, please consider contributing to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash closeness. If listening has inspired you to get your own questions answered on an upcoming episode, or if you'd like personal or couples coaching, you can find what you're looking for on any of the Closeness websites. All of these links can be found in the description. Until next time, stay close.